All right, good evening, everybody. We good? There we go. We'll be in Acts chapter 20, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Acts 20. Uh, that's not going to fall. It's attached with many, many 12-gauge wire. It's not going to come down. The, the three-inch molding along the top there is meant for this wall to be able to move a little bit, so the floating ceiling can't, well, it went beyond three inches. That The storm blew it three inches more than, or more than it did, so that's why that came up, apart, but the light is attached, and we're going to be fine. Then we fix it later. So look over here, and you should be okay. They should all have you move to this side over here and look this way. Tonight in Acts 20, um, Paul gives just a lot of emotion in this, and this is what I love about this chapter. Um, we'll pick it apart, and we'll study it, and we'll dissect it a little bit, but I don't want to lose sight of the fact that Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and um, he has such a love and a heart for God, and everybody he's touched has such a love and a heart for him. It's just beautiful to see it all coming together, um, and uh, just a lot of emotion in this chapter 20. So, in verse 1, after the uproar had ceased, and you remember last week there was quite the stir, because uh, their silver, uh, you know, goddess-making uh, business was going to be in jeopardy. They were going to make money off of this if people kept following Jesus Christ. And that is a wonderful problem to have when so many people are born again that they don't go to the places that make money off of sin. Um, think about the revivals, the Welsh revivals over in England and, and all that. They didn't have to protest bars and, and, and houses of ill repute, you know. Um, they just got people saved and people just stopped going and those places went under. And I love that, that they just, they folded because there wasn't anybody to, um, well, to frequent those establishments, you know, and that's what our problem, we, we're, we're trying to put a bandaid on a drug problem in this country. We try to put a bandaid on uh, human trafficking and, 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 and pedophilia and all this stuff. And everybody's excited about the case. And of course we should, that's our job is to have laws that'll rein in those that will not be reined in. And so we do that, that the laws are for the, for the unjust, the laws are for the lawbreakers. Um, but the solution isn't in those things. Oh, I lied to you. The other side fell. The, the problem isn't in that. The problem is in the fact that people go to those things, um, that they don't know Jesus. And if people would get saved, all the symptoms that we have would be taken care of. Um, abortion is a symptom, it's a symptom problem. Um, uh, pornography is a symptom. And all these things are symptoms of sin natures. And sin natures can only be cleansed from the inside out, from the Holy Spirit, from God doing the work. So that's why it's so neat to see that when Paul is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people in that city are getting so saved, they actually have a, <laughs> uh, the business people have a meeting to talk about this problem that they have. That these guys are spreading Jesus too much and too much love. And so, um, anyway. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Paul had a true love for people. It wasn't just a, my job is done here, you know, and swung his cape around and took off into the sunset or whatever, but um, he embraced them. It was hard for him to leave these people. So he had a, a, a love for the sheep, but he also knew that he had a mission that God called him to and that he had to continue to spread and to go wherever he, led, he was led. Now, when he had gone over... Uh, that region and encouraged them with many words. He came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, 
he decided to return through Macedonia, and Sopatar of Berea accompanied him to, uh, uh, to Asia. Also, Aristocharis uh, uh, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, Timothy and Tychicus of Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. Now, I don't want to skip over that because we'll lose it. It's a, to, to most people, that's just that's a list of people that were traveling companions of Paul. What Paul is doing, and we're going to read this here in a minute in uh, 1 Corinthians and, and so on, but as he decides to go to Jerusalem because he's compelled by the Spirit, he, he's purposed in the Holy Spirit to do this. In other words, he wants to do this because the Holy Spirit's impressing it on his heart. Everything you hear from here on out in this chapter is other people receiving from the Holy Spirit a word or whatever, but it isn't, it's not like Paul stopped listening. Um, he knows what God wants him to do. They are being told what God's going to do, um, and they're going to try to tell Paul this, and they've missed. I believe they've missed the warning. They, they think it's a warning they need to give them when actually it's just a word of knowledge for them to understand what's going to take place to prepare their hearts. Paul, and that's why I had you document that last time and circle it last week, was Paul purposed in the Spirit to do this um, by the Holy Spirit. And so as he's going to Jerusalem, part of that deal is that if a church that he's already started or planted or walked through wants to bring a donation to the church of Jerusalem, he didn't want to take the money himself. He wanted a representative of each church to come with him to carry the bag. It just felt right to him to not have to do that. We don't know exactly why, but we get that impression that I don't want to show up with 12 money bags because what if I get robbed or what if something happens? I mean, there's a lot going on here to protect himself from a bad reputation. You know, if I get robbed, they're all going to say, yeah, sure you did. You buried it behind rock number five. You know, Paul says, no, you guys pick somebody who you choose, have them carry your money bag to Jerusalem, and it's not on him anymore. That's who these guys are. Um, from from uh, Sopatar Berea, he came, Aristocharis and Secundus from the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus, and they're from Asia. So four different churches are sending their finances with Paul, but they brought emissaries with them. Um, and so that's what's happening. They're walking. Now, when it says, but we, uh, that is Luke who's writing this saying he's on board. He's with them. Luke has joined this traveling group. He's traveling with Paul right now. And so we, all of us, these men going ahead, waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So he's just documenting the trip, and this is how we get our missionary trips from Paul. In the back of your Bibles, if you've got a study Bible, there'll be maps back there that describe the first, second, and third missionary trip of Paul. Um, and they're kind of fun to follow. And when you look at their outline, you can see, as you read through Acts, oh, there they go, you know, and you can see where we are. Well, this is his first time through, his second time through, and he's encouraging them his third time through. And so you can see those on your maps. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, this is an anecdote that Luke wants to share because he's a physician. And this kid is going to be in this setting. And before I get into the whole story of this kid falling out of the window, falling three stories down, he's, he's dead Paul lays himself on top of this kid, brings him back to life, and then he goes on teaching. Before we go into that story, um, I want to take note of just a few things here in this verse 7. And the fact is they met on the first day of the week. 
As Gentile believers or as Jewish believers, honestly, the synagogue or the place of worship is occupied on Saturdays. Um, and so they met on the first day of the week, not only because it's a great time to meet, you know, um, it's after that, it's, it's, the, it's Sunday, it's also the day the Lord rose from the dead. It was a common practice for the church to meet on the first day of the week. Now, why do I bring that up? Uh, because all these things are basics that many of you may have not run into yet, but there are certain denominations that think that because you worship on Sunday, you worship the sun. Denominations in Christianity believe that if you're worshiping on Sunday, you're worshiping the sun. And so that's why you have to worship on Saturday. Okay, that's why I'm talking about Seventh-day Adventists. Um, they're very much into that. They, they think that because you're not worshiping on Saturday, the seventh day, like you're supposed to, you're, you're worshiping on the first day, you are worshiping the sun. And well, we're not, obviously. I mean, we are, S-O-N, but not S-U-N. Um, and so those are funny things that you come across. It's like conversations you have with Christians that you're, you're on board with almost on everything, and all of a sudden it'll come up in a conversation. So uh, when does your church meet? Well, almost every day of the week. Why? I mean, you'd say that about us. No, no, I mean for worship on the weekends. What time do they, when do they meet? And you may think, well, they might want to come, you know? Well, we meet Sundays at night. Oh, Sundays. Well, yeah, Sundays. Sundays 9 and 11. Why? When do you guys meet? Saturdays, because that is the seventh day. Oh, here we go, you know? And you run into that problem sometimes. And he, now you're not talking about Jesus anymore. You're not talking about your fellowship in the Holy Spirit. You're talking about that. And so I, I want to get that on little moments like this out of the way. Because the Bible is very clear that worshiping on Sunday is fine. Worshiping on Saturday is fine. Worshiping on Monday is fine. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And you can see I'm going, any day is a wonderful day to worship God and okay and prescribed so, if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 2, we see here that also the Corinthian church is meeting on the first day of the week, and it also, in this pot, describes how they would collect for the saints in Jerusalem at this time and tells us what's happening right here. So, that's why I want to hit this. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So he's setting it up ahead of time, just what we talked about. I want you, when you meet on the first day of the weeks, to set something aside. And after you do that, and you have that collection ready, pick somebody out, give them a letter, stating that they're going to be traveling with me. And they can go by themselves. And if I have to go, that's fine, but they're coming with me. And so we see that set up here. So we killed two birds with one stone there. First day of the week, worship is very common in the church and very normal. Um, and it's, it's totally biblical and fine. And I'll back that up now with Romans chapter 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And it's right after Acts. So go back. When we get done with Acts here, we're going to go right into Romans. Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 12. The night is far spent. Oh, wait a minute. Did I write that down? Oh, I'm on the wrong one. 14. Sorry. Here we go. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. 
Now, that has to do with broader applications than just first or seventh day to worship. That actually has to do with uh, the Sabbath day. And that's why Paul writes this. Look, Christ has fulfilled the law, so now any day is a great day to worship God. And so he says, one person esteems one day above another. Saturday is the day we worship. Sunday is the day we worship. That's fine for you. That's fine. It says another person esteems every day alike. Monday's the day. I mean, what do you do with third shifters? What do you do with people that work on the weekends and all that? Are they constantly breaking the Sabbath? No. And that's so he writes this down to let everybody understand. No, that's not the issue. One esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. It's a very strong thing to understand that Christ has set us free to walk with him. For us to individually walk with him and to listen to his Holy Spirit and to have our relationship with him um, develop, let him speak to us what's appropriate, what's not appropriate for us. See, somebody came up to me and says, how do I, I had a little moment up here, I, I, I can come up here and sit and people can come up, ask questions or get prayer or whatever. Um, and sometimes they'll take the opportunity to say, I'm just wondering, how do I know what's okay to watch on TV or what's not okay to watch on TV? I said, well, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will tell you what you can and cannot watch. And I say this because there are certain things that are blatant and obvious. I hope you understand that. These are things you don't watch. But there are some gray areas because I don't know. That's okay for me to watch um, Scrooge or something like that. But for somebody else, they may have been involved in the occult. They may have been involved in all sorts. And for some reason, they feel convicted when they watch that. And so God says, I don't want you to watch that. It's for their conscience sake. I picked an easy target. Scrooge is just fine to watch. I love all of them. I think we have our favorites. I like George C. Scott, but there's a ton of them, and I've watched them all. So I picked that because nobody could ever have a problem with Scrooge, I don't think. Um, But I picked it because the point is, although many other people seem as Christians to have permission in their lives to watch those things, you don't. And I don't know what God's doing in your life. There may be this over here that God wants to deal with, and it has to do with all these other things. And so he's knocking down these pegs of these small insignificant things that it seems like everybody else can do so that we can knock this big one down when we get to it. My walk with Jesus is very purposeful. When I got saved, he took out different things in my life first and other things he took out later. In fact, many people looked at me in my walk and said, why are you still doing that? I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. I hadn't been taught yet. I hadn't been convicted about it yet. There was just a time where I stepped into this, and now that you're telling me that, well, I guess I'll look into it, but I still don't feel convicted about it. And then later on, maybe, oh, yeah, yeah I probably shouldn't do that, you know, and I figured it out, you know. Um, it took me a long time to get rid of Metallica and things like that in my life. I just, very skilled and very good, and, and some people just don't feel convicted about that at all. But for me, it's like, no, they're pretty much worshiping and glorifying Satan. I just can't be a part of that at all. Um, but other people are like, eh, it's okay. You know, what's wrong with the Beatles? Well, um, there's a lot of things wrong with the Beatles, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I, and I can't watch them because I know what they believed. And I know what kind of hallucinogenics they used to take. And I know even the Beach Boys, the, the, oh, the Beach Boys are harmless. Yeah, but do you know what they went through? And the acid that they dropped and the things that got, one of them got caught up in and had the cults they were involved in. I mean, it's very difficult for me. So I knew that stuff, and because I had knowledge and because it was convicting, I do. But I don't walk around up here and say, no more Beatles, no more, you know, 
Beach Boys kind of thing. That's between you and the Lord. Probably totally fine. Till now, till I brought it up. Sorry. And you're like, what? Man, it goes half my music library. Um, let me finish this because we're talking about days. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. In other words, he believes it's an act of worship to not be hung up on the day. He thinks, I think every day is equally important. I should worship you every day. Every day is a Sabbath for me because, Jesus, you are my rest from work. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it isn't about mowing your lawn on Sundays. It isn't about worshiping on Saturdays. I've always thought of it that way. I just can't mow my lawn on Sunday. Well, then don't. Be fully convinced in your mind. Don't do it. Sit around all day long. That's a great idea. We do need rest. Take it. Take a nap. That's all Paul's saying. You esteem it above the others. It's okay. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. You know, somebody's like, how could you be fasting? Because I'm starving. It makes me feel like I'm closer to God when I'm not eating. It feels like I'm denying my flesh and I feel closer to God. I really focus on my prayer time. How come you're not fasting? Because I love to eat. And if I'm fasting and I'm hungry, I cannot focus on God. I can't think of anything but food. It's very difficult for me, so I like to eat. Oh, you got to be fully convinced in your own mind. And so Paul goes through all those things. And he finishes up with, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account to, of, of himself to God. I'm responsible for me. I'm responsible for my call. I'm responsible for answering my call and performing my call the way God leads me to do it. I take offense when someone tells me that you're not doing what God called you to do. How do you know? How do you know? It's, I'm very particular about that. Um, if I haven't heard from the Holy Spirit or God stopped talking to me, then I ought not be here at all. And so it's very important we understand that when God shows you something is working with you in your walk, first of all, be honest with yourself. Are you walking with the Lord? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Is he convicting you of things? Are you being obedient to him? And that's what you listen to is to, is for him. Um, that's what you need to pay attention to. And if it keeps coming up and you keep coming up with excuses, that's between you and the Lord, but it is an excuse, you know? On the other hand, I can't tell you, unless it's blatantly clear in Scripture, that's sin and you've got to stop. I can, I'm pretty close. I mean, there's a lot of things in here. It's pretty cut and dry. God judges you with his word. I'm not judging you. God is. His word says so. But on these things like the day, I had another question about long hair. Aren't women supposed to all have long hair or cover their head or something? I said, well, yeah, if you read that whole text, you get down to verse 16, it says, but in the church, we have no such custom. So he goes on to defend the fact that, yeah, it's probably better. Don't you understand that it's kind of natural for a woman to have longer hair? It's her crown. It's her beauty. And we don't know the length. Is it three? Is it four? Is it six? Is it, you know, what is it? What's the length? Um, the bottom line is in verse 16, which is the most important verse, Paul just stops and says, yeah, but in the churches, we have no such custom. 
And so if anybody seems to be contentious about this, he says, we don't have a custom in church. It's not worth being contentious about. There are ifs and maybes and things like that, but you can't judge somebody for the length of the hair, you know, boys or girls, you know, it's not, it's not appropriate. I mean, Samson, how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, he had a Nazarite vow and he was set apart for the Lord. His hair was long, you know. How do you know that a guy with long hair hasn't done that? Well, he probably hasn't. Yeah, but you don't know. And why are you focused on his hair so much? How is your walk with the Lord? You know, um, what are, what's going on with you? Maybe we should examine that a little bit better. And you got to be really careful about that. So back in Acts 20, I wanted to take the time. So we hit on this in verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, that's a proof text a little bit that shows us that it's okay to worship on the first day of the week, Sunday, as well as the other ones I shared with you. It's all right. Anyway, so we get into the story. Paul is preaching, and you think that my sermons go long. My goodness. <laughs> there were many lamps in the upper room. Now, Luke makes note of that because he's a physician. He understands carbon monoxide, right? He gets it. Um, there were many lamps in the upper room, um, and we were where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus. Well, he's trying to get some fresh air, and he could just be tired. Paul's been preaching for a long time, and I'm looking around here to see if anybody's fallen asleep in the church, because if you are, we have a Eutychus ministry, you know, this is it. He sunk into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. That'll break up a sermon or a church service, won't it? But Paul went down. You see him, oh man, where's Eutychus? He was just sitting there a minute ago. Dude, he fell out the window. Fell on him and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. Now, when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, he continued on with his sermon. I love that. Like, Eutychus fell asleep. It's all right. He's all right. He's alive. Let's get back inside. I'm not done yet. You know, and they all sit down and they just had a resurrection and they eat some food and they decide, let's just go on with the sermon. It's that important. Look how important the word of God was to them. How important it was to spend all day long. I don't know how long we're going to have Paul here. I don't know how long we have this freedom to read God's word. I don't know when the next wave of persecution is going to come. We're going to take as much time as possible. Maybe at night is the best time. And we all get in this upper room. It's a little stuffy. And it's a little cramped. And there's a lot of fumes from all the candles and stuff. But we're going to sit here and we're going to listen and take up as much. They were hungry for God's word. And I'm preaching to the choir. Most of the people that usually come on Wednesday nights are home tucked in bed, you know, because of the storm and all. But you guys are hungry. You came, you know, and that's a good thing. And I'm not saying that they should have or that they're less, but you guys are better than they are. No, I'm kidding. That's a good thing. It's okay. And I love God's Word. I love reading it. I love making notes. I love figuring things out that don't seem to be, you're not able to figure them out. But if you sit and chew on them a little bit, and you think on them, and you let God speak to you. I like those times. When I study, I'm sitting on the couch in the basement and today, and sometimes I'll be, you know, in it, and I go through, and I break it up. I, I do my lines. Here's where I, I'm going to stop here. 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 That's my first run through the chapter. Then I'm going to go, that just came to mind. I'm going to write that there. I'm going to write that there, and I put my scriptures in there. But then I, a lot of the times, I'm just sitting there looking out the window, and I'm thinking through. I'm picturing the whole thing in my mind, this Eutychus up there. 
seeing him leaning in there in the window, you know, just trying to get some fresh air and watch him drift off. And then my mind wanders to maybe five or six of the guys on a Sunday morning that usually drift off in church. And I start thinking about them and laughing a little bit. And I'm working this thing out. And I'm saying, now, why did Luke take the time? Because I've always heard this taught that, that he was overcome with fumes. Where do they get that from? Why do they get that? Well, because Luke made it a point to say there were many lamps in the upper room. I'm like, oh, I mean, I never would have picked up on that. But Luke took the time to say there were many lamps in the upper room because he wanted the readers to know this is why the kid was falling asleep and what was about to take place took place because of the fumes, not because he was bored with Paul. So it's almost like protecting Eutychus's, you know, uh, reputation. He wasn't just the kid that didn't want to be there. He was the guy that was just, oh, God, I'm just I, ah, getting dizzy, you know. And I love that. And so that's most of my time is staring out the window, thinking these things through. I just love God's word. I have a hunger for it. I have a hunger not for his word necessarily even, but to know him better and to understand the whole situation and how the church worked and what Paul was like and the personality of Luke. I love this. I don't do this for anything else. You could talk to me about your favorite novel or your favorite series or your favorite sitcom or whatever. And uh, I don't know. It's just not that, it's not that interesting to me. This stuff is. These guys knew this was life and death. The word of God had life to them. The word of God was sustaining them. It was so important to them. They didn't have Netflix and Amazon Prime, of course, either. But there they were, you know, focused. Anyway, so the guy, the guy dies, they raise him back from the dead, and they go back upstairs, and they continue on for a long time until the daybreak. All night long he taught, and then he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. They were a lot comforted. Man, Eutychus, thought you are dead. I thought I was dead, you know. Amazing. They were super, it was just super encouraging to them. And, uh, you know, we, Luke doesn't spend a lot of time on the resurrection of the dead here. He focuses mostly on the fact that that raising that kid up from the dead emphasized the power of the word. The miracle wasn't the thing. The miracle only proved that how important the thing, the word was to them. You know, the word was the most important thing. And that this was a distraction is all it was. This kid falling out of the window and dying, just a distraction. We need to get back into the word. It's amazing. I love it. Verse 13, then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for he had given orders, intending himself to go on by foot. So we all got in the boat, and he says he wanted to walk. And now we don't know the purpose of this, but maybe he needed some time. So we went ahead and did. We, went, we met at Assos, and we took him on board when we came to uh, Mytilene. We sailed from there with Paul on board now. The next day came opposite um, Chios, or Chios, I think it's Chios, um, the following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. He is focused on that. I want to get to Jerusalem. I want to get there by the day of, by Pentecost. It's very important to me. I don't want to stop in Ephesus because I always get stuck. I get bogged down there. You know, I want to get past that. So because he passes Ephesus, that's where verse 17 comes in. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. I just need the leaders. I just need the guys we set up to be in charge. I want you guys to come in. It's a first pastor's conference is what this is. Come on out to this, and and we want to talk to you. When they had come to him, he said to them, and he begins to give his 
farewell address to them, very important, begins to share his final thoughts for them. He says, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot there. I like the part here um, when he talked about, I, I didn't keep anything back that was helpful. That's the part that stuck out to me. That means he did keep back some things that weren't helpful. There are things that Paul knows aren't going to help you grow. It isn't what you need right now, and it has nothing to do with the Word of God. I didn't keep back anything that was helpful. That's all I wanted to do was help you in your walk to proclaim to you the truth of God and his word and to help you grow. That's my heart. And I didn't do anything self-serving. I lived my life and I walked in such a way that no one could blame me for what I was doing. Like I wasn't trying to um, get rich from it or anything is, is the idea. And the whole point of that is to say, you understand that what I gave you was genuine. That's always the fear. Um, with a paid speaker or with a, well, that's as far as I can go with it. When you invite someone to come and speak and you're going to pay them a $5,000 speaking fee or whatever, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. They just are because they want to be invited back. They want everybody to glad hand them on the way out the door. That's just how it is. And it'll be pleasing. You know, it'll be enjoyable and everybody will feel a little bit better when they leave kind of thing, which is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with feeling better. But Paul thought the best way to help people feel better was to give them the absolute truth. Full strength. He was a strong cup of black coffee. He was. And he gave it to them because he knew this was either going to wake them up, it was going to heal them, it was going to show them where they stood. He knows God's word works, and so he didn't want to avoid that. And he gave it to them. You know how I lived among you. You cannot say that I did it for the money or that I was somehow getting advantage. I got beat up every time I talked. You know, by the people that I was trying to minister to, they would beat me up. You know, these Jewish guys, they would beat me up every time I try to minister to them. And so I continue on no matter what. You saw that, right? And they knew that. And there's an affection there. I did that because I loved you and because I love Jesus. And I want you to know that, that I did this because I love you, not for any gain. I would go from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. We often talk about repentance from sin. And I spend time on this every time because this is one of the most important verses to me in the Bible, verse 21. Um, I like the way this is written better. It's the exact same thing as repentance from sin. It is. I don't want people to turn from their sin in any direction. I want people to turn towards God. Repentance simply means that turning away or towards something. So I'm going to repent from you tonight. There, I repented. I'm going the other way. Now, if on the other side, as I walk away from you, people is nothing, I eventually is going to, I'm going to come back to this. You see, Paul says, I taught people to turn towards God. I don't have to worry about this sin, that sin, that sin, that sin. All I have to tell you to do is do one thing, face the light. When you face the light, everything in your life gets exposed, boom, 
and you begin to see the sin for yourself coming from God's light. Now, I'm not saying we don't point out sin or that we don't bring people to that repentance from sin. They first have to know that they're a sinner, but because why do I want to turn towards God? But Paul understood there's, there's healing and there's a, such a gentleness when someone turns towards God. It's the same thing. It's the same coin. If you turn from your sin, you're turning towards God, hopefully. And as you turn towards God, you begin to get that light shining in your life. He takes care of way more than what you thought. We just had a conversation about a young man that came and visited and says, man, when I first came here, I was mad at what you're saying. Okay. I mean, I mean, I have, there are, I'm, I'm sharp sometimes. And there's a personality conflict maybe, but as far as God's word goes, I mean, can you show me in the word where I was wrong? I mean, that's all I, maybe the delivery wasn't the greatest. I understand that, you know, that can be offensive. Um, a little too blunt or a little too lack of compassion or whatever, but, but the word of God's true. And then they said, well, no, but by the end of it, I was convicted. and I knew that God was just speaking to me and telling me that I needed it. But what saved me from, <laughs> from losing this guy, from coming to our church, was that God had already talked to him about this earlier and then got confirmed here. And although it was offensive to hear, he heard it from God first. And then from, you see, that's just confirmation then. It isn't necessarily an offense. It's confirmation. Um, that's what turning towards God does. When I turn towards God and I hear it from him, you really can't argue with him then. I can argue with people. I can't argue with his word because his word is right. And I can't argue with God, but I can argue with people. And that's the beauty of this. He says, I testified to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And since I did that, he says, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. That doesn't mean he's not supposed to go. This is the word of knowledge. Thank you. When the Holy Spirit comes alongside Paul at Corinth, he says, you know, you can stay here a long time. No one here is going to hurt you. That was encouraging. You're going to Jerusalem. You're going to get hurt there. And that's why he moves on to this wonderful verse in verse 22 or 24, excuse me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. It's a very important verse that I use all the time and cling to and read often. None of these things move me. Big storm coming tonight. Going to be winds of 80 miles an hour, 100 mile an hour, tornado warning. We were driving from High V, and I got a crazy wife. That's the beauty of this. I got a wife, and I'm like, are, are you, do you think we should go home or not? She goes, no. All right. I just want to make sure I'm not taking everybody into, into you know, the, the, the jaws of, of death here, you know. Uh, so we go to High V, and the, the manager's saying, sorry, folks, High V's close. You know, all, all of our guys are in the back, huddled in the corner. And so no one's going to check you out. Okay, well, we'll come back later. So we just drive to church. And it got windy and crazy and all that. And, and John was here. <laughs> that was a great line. He goes, I was wondering if we got church tonight or whether we were a lukewarm church. <laughs> I was like, that's right, man. Of course we're going to be here. Not because we think that everybody needs to get here. You need to stay home. Stay home and stay safe. Absolutely. But if anybody shows up that needs God or needs his word or doesn't want to tune in online and needs some fellowship, we will be here to make sure that takes place. If nobody comes, 
whatever. It makes no difference. We were here in case anybody was hungry or hurt or needed anything from anybody. That's the point. That's why we opened the doors. That is important to have that settled. None of these things move me. I don't get moved by storms. I don't get moved by ice or snow or what ifs. Uh, God told me to do this. I'm going to do this, you know, and you do it. And that's so beautiful for Paul. Maybe trains and tribulations wait me there, but I'm still going. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be dissuaded from this. Um, verse 25, and indeed, now I know that uh, you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. It's the last time I'm going to see you guys. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's why we teach the way we teach here. That's why we do it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the whole Bible. We want to make sure that everybody gets the whole counsel of God. And I don't see how you can do that unless you do this. I'm not saying it's... Well, I, do, I am. I mean, I, I love expository teaching. I think it's the best way to go through the Bible. I don't know how you can, at the end of your life as a pastor, say, I didn't shun to give them the whole counsel of God when you didn't teach them the whole Bible. You've got to do it. Um, and that's why we do what we do here, because we really believe this. We believe Nehemiah um, 8, um, where he says, uh, and they read the word of God, and they give a sense of the meaning, and they went through the whole thing with the people. We read the word of God, and we gave them a sense of the meaning. That's what we try to do. Um, we want to go through the whole counsel. And so for Paul, it was like, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I've given you all of it. Therefore, take heed to yourselves. You've got it. I've given you everything. And to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Shepherding is very important to understand. Shepherd takes a flock of sheep and he beats up wolves and he makes sure they're in a safe environment where they can eat as much as they want to eat. If they get themselves in trouble and they want help, he's going over there with his crook and he's going to get them out of the rock and out of the hard places. But he doesn't eat for them. He binds them up if they're wounded. There's a thing called the shepherding movement, which is a very dangerous movement that moves through the church, where if you wanted to buy a car, you need to go talk to the pastor. He'll let you know whether it's a good buy or not, whether you're supposed to do that or not. I'm thinking about marrying this guy. What do you think? Oh, I think he's bad news. I don't think you should marry him. That is not what God meant by shepherding the flock of God. You do not want to live someone's walk for them. That is not helpful. A lot of you are teachers. A lot of you, well, anybody that's a parent is a teacher. Anybody that has been a child has knows what it's like to be a teacher or be taught anyway. That does not help them out. If you say, just give me your math page, give me your math page. Two plus two is four. There, look, you got an A. That never did anybody any good. I mean, except for the kids, like, great, I'm done. Um, they didn't learn anything. They didn't learn how to hear their father's voice when you, during that shepherding movement, they. They had to hear from a man before they could walk with the Lord, and that's not what God wants. We have to learn our Father's voice. We have to make mistakes. We have to be obedient. We have to hear Him and what our call is from Him. We have to walk that walk. Now, we want to help as shepherds. We want to make sure everybody's okay. You come here, there's always going to be a meal of God's Word waiting for you. Hungry or not, if you walk in the door, here it is. It'll be here for you. Um, If you need prayer because you're sick, glad to do it. Need counsel? Love to help. Um, can't live your life for you, though. Can't go round you up. What are you doing sleeping? Get back. Come on. Get them out to the Bible bus. Let's get on. We're going to church today. If you don't want to go to church, don't go to church. That's up to you. 
Shepherding has its limits. He wants them to shepherd the people that um, he's purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, here's what's going to happen, because Paul was a great shepherd, scary to wolves. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And they did. And he's telling these pastors, you better watch out, because once I step away, they're going to think the flock is unprotected, but you show them otherwise. It's very important. Also, from among you, from yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. So not only is there going to be an attack from the outside, there'll be those inside that have been sleeper cells just waiting for the shepherd to leave so they can rise up and say, you know, he never really was a good guy. You know, you should come to my Bible study. You should do this or whatever and begin to cause people to be perverted. That's what it says. He's going to speak perverse things. We had a guy, <laughs> I remember the first time we caught him. Uh, you remember that, Toby? I can't think of his name. Probably better not use his name, should we? <laughs> Probably liable. Anyway, he would come faithfully. And he would tithe and he'd sit and listen and agree. And one of you guys was out there walking by the water cone. He, he says, I overheard him saying, you know, the Book of Mormon is just another gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm like, what? What? This guy had been coming for like five or six years, and he was telling people about the Book of Mormon out there by the water cooler. I'm like, oy vey, lewd, less. That was his name. Less, no. <laughs> it's, it, I don't care if you think so or not. Do not talk about that here. I mean, I hope you get saved, and I hope you figure out that that's not another gospel of Jesus Christ, but you cannot be doing that in these halls. That's not allowed. Go out on the street. I don't care where you go and do that, but not here. Perverse things. And you got to watch for those things. Anyway, that was one of those moments. We've had several things like that, but that was the one that just came to mind right now. Nice guy. Like him a lot. I don't think he even thought he was doing anything wrong. He really honestly said, no, 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 no. Can't be doing that. Anyway, therefore, watch, he tells these pastors, watch for the guys that are going to rise up from within and teach perverse things and watch for the wolves that are come from the outside Watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I was adamant about this. So now, brethren, I commend you to God. I'm leaving you in God's hands. It's between you and the Lord now. The work is yours. The ministry is yours. I'm committing you. I'm commending you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities. And for those who were with me, both, I provided for myself and for those who were weak. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Don't forget that. Don't let this be a way of gain for you guys. Don't, get, don't fall into that trap. That this is a way for you to get monetarily ahead. Um, you make sure that if someone can't make money, you know, they're having a difficult time or a struggle in that, you need to be giving. You need to be working and giving. Very important. Um, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most for, of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. They fell on his neck and wept. You know, that, that's, a, 
That's a powerful connection. All these pastors just saying, oh, Paul, man, you've been such a blessing to us. That's different. This is different. This is a relationship that's um, it's like David and Jonathan. It's like there's something there that just isn't there most of the time. These pastors knew that their senior pastor loved them, you know, knew it. And the idea of not ever seeing this guy again, it wasn't okay. That Well, thanks. I think we're equipped now. I've got this now. Good. Now that he's gone, I can actually do what I've always wanted to do. No, it was just like, no way. No, you know. And they kissed and fell on his neck. And what a, what a beautiful moment. And they keep doing that all throughout chapter 21, which we're not going to get to tonight. But chapter 21 is another thing where everybody's trying to tell him, hey, Jerusalem, they're going to kill you in Jerusalem. That bad things happen in Jerusalem. Goes, I know, I know, I know. I'm going anyway. Um, and they were all upset. Um, and they finally acquiesce. They finally say, you know what, Paul, if that's what the Lord's leading you to do, then we give, we give, you know, we're sad, but we give. And it's a, it's a beautiful relationship he has with his people. Um, it's a good thing that I sit and meditate on these things. It's a good thing that all of us sit and meditate on these things and read his word and kind of let yourself daydream and think about that. What is my relationship with the brothers and sisters around me? Is it this kind of relationship? Is it that powerful? Is it that strong? Do I have stronger relationships than this outside of the faith with other people, you know? Or does this matter, you know? There is such love here. There is such a, a binding of the Holy Spirit in these people that the idea of not seeing them again and having to wait till heaven to see them again was a heartbreaking thought to them, you know? Oh, I just so encourage when you're around, Paul. Um. Jesus was like that, you know? And Paul knew Jesus so well that he was like that. And J.D. can know Jesus so well that I can be like that, you know? And we want that. So important for all of us to have that desire. No matter where Jesus went, thousands would just show up. And it wasn't because they were scared to death of him. And it wasn't because they were afraid he was going to tell them something that they shouldn't do or whatever. They just knew it was safe around him. They just knew the kids could come up and sit in his lap. They weren't terrified of Jesus at all. It wasn't a scary pastor, you know? Very important. Beautiful thing to see Paul's relationship with all these people, you know? And then to examine our own relationship with each other. Pretty important. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart, his desire to be obedient to you and to be faithful to your calling, no matter what. None of the things that came upon him, none of the beatings, um, none of the imprisonments, none of the shipwrecks, none of these things moved him from his calling, from his walk with you, um, from being obedient to you. We want that in our own lives. We want nothing to move us, Lord. Nothing would move us away from what you've called us to do, to be husbands, to be wives, to be parents, to be students, to be um, sons and daughters, um, all the roles that we have, good employees, good employers, um, whatever it may be, God, help us to walk with you and that nothing would move us from that walk with you. But bless these folks as they've come. They've come because they love you and they love your word and they're hungry for it and they sat and listened and they received everything you had for them. I pray that nothing would steal it away. None of the birds of the air would come into their lives and try to steal away your word that was planted in their hearts tonight that it would bear fruit and have deep roots. Um, that's our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, or you just need to talk, come on up. Glad to do it.